Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by SKP Creative. Are you having a hard time making social media work for your business? It can be more than a little tricky to figure out on your own. So just talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to help your business grow and thrive. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative. Make it happen. Today's guest is Dean Boyd. You may also know him as the strong arm, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him. Dean isn't just a successful local personal injury lawyer. He's a really successful marketer, and the majority of people who know his name know him from his TV commercials and billboards. But who's the guy behind the ads? I sat down with Dean in his relatively new office. It's the former home of the Southwest Branch of the Amarillo Public Library, which he's restored, to talk about his tough upbringing, how he got into law in the first place, and why he takes his job so seriously, even if his commercials are pretty lighthearted. So here's Dean Boyd. Dean Boyd, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, sure. Uh, it's my pleasure. I, w- I want to talk about your law practice. I want to talk about all the stuff that you do. But before we get to that point, I'd like to sort of hear the story about how you ended up here in the first place. So sure. what brought you to Amarillo? Kind of a long story. Strangely enough, my grandfather graduated from Amarillo High. And I've had uh, lots of different family in the area over the years, but I did not grow up here, wasn't drawn here by that. Um, so just a little background on, on my deal. So I was born a missionary's child in uh, the, the Netherlands. Okay. And we moved. God, that was That's unique. I, I've not had any, uh, any other guests who grew up in the Netherlands. Right. So. Well, I didn't really grow up there. I was there for a couple of years. We moved to Tennessee for a while, a uh, very short while. And then we moved to Wilmington, Delaware, where I lived. And then we moved to Dallas. My dad was a preacher. We moved around. Pretty much grew up in Dallas. It's one of those things that a lot of folks don't believe me, but if you were a uh, Church of Christ preacher's kid in the 60s and 70s, uh, you definitely were the poorest people in church. We lived in South Oak Cliff in Dallas, and um, I was the only white guy on my football team at Carter High School where I uh, started out. And it was an interesting time, mid to late 70s. It was a tough way to grow up. But, you know, it's really definitely made me a better person, I believe, because I got the other side of it. When you're the only person of a particular color in an area, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. So that had a lot to do with who I became as an adult, I think. I was tested and, you know, learned a few things the hard way. Ended up in North Dallas, finishing up high school and uh, went to Abilene Christian, undergrad, it's where all my family went. It's just, I didn't have to go, but it was kind of expected. So I It's played. a good Church of Christ school. If, it, if it, it was definitely a Church of Christ up. school in 1981 when I started there. I didn't have to go there. I was really good at football, strangely enough. I made first team all district as a uh, 16-year-old senior at the big schools. I was a linebacker. I was mean and I was fast. And hmm. I loved football. Uh, problem is that uh, I was only 16 and my dad didn't tell me about the scholarship offers that coming my way because I kept getting concussions and he thought that was a bad thing. You know, it turns out later he was right. It turns out. Um, but I got to pay for my own school. So I went to Abilene Christian, got married way too young, 
while I was in school, got out and started working, settling life and health insurance. It was really hard for a young man to do that job. Uh, most people getting a financial advice don't want to talk to a kid. And I ended up becoming an insurance adjuster because I went to church with a guy that was the senior vice president of uh, Employers Insurance of Texas, which is now defunct. I was trying to get a job in the finance area, ended up getting a job as an insurance adjuster, which directed the rest of my career. I had taken some aptitude testing. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, I did that. And I was like, no, I, I took aptitude testing that was like a three-day process. Right. Uh, this thing called the Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation, which I would recommend to any young person trying to figure out what direction they want to go. They tested all kinds of weird stuff. It, it developed out of a company that had hundreds of thousands of employees, and they were trying to figure out how to put good people in the right place. And so the results of those tests were that I should go into law or become a clinical psychologist. Got my undergrad. Now, like, those are pretty unrelated areas. What, uh, what did it see? And Actually, not. I would disagree with that. Okay. The, it says attorney and counselor at law, and there are many counseling situations okay. uh, when you're dealing with people in trouble. People don't come to a lawyer because they're happy. Generally, people come to me because there's something wrong. And so talking to people in distress is, takes a little bit of counseling, if you care at all. So I'd gotten married early, and so I couldn't see going to another five years of school to get a doctorate in clinical psychology. You know, at the time, you could just as easily end up working for MHMR and making a very, 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 very low salary yeah. working for the state and you'd still have student loans out the wazoo to pay. So um, I decided to go to law school, you know, just like ACU. I paid my own way, borrowed every penny I could get my hands on. No one in my family had ever done this. Um, my sister just so happened to be doing it and graduated at the time that I was starting. Um, and I don't know why, but both of us were kind of built for it. She's been a lawyer now for 33, 34 years in Fort Worth, and she's very good at what she does. But, okay, I'm not the student that my sister was. She was 4.0 her whole life. She yeah. graduated in the top 10 people of her law school class. Not top 10%, top 10 people at SMU. I mean, she was the bomb. She is very, very bright. Oh, and that's something else about Meanwhile, my you were a football player with a lot of that's, concussions. That's right. correct. I played football. You know, uh, I actually dated girls. You know, I had a social life. Everybody in my family has at least a master's degree, including my parents. Uh, we didn't have any money, but man, we had education. And I went to SMU. I'm very proud of that. I got my degree, my law degree from SMU. I lived in Dallas at the time. And if you were going to be a lawyer in Dallas, I thought you should do that. Uh, the student loans that I incurred, you know, spoke otherwise. I uh, should have taken a scholarship at Tech. But uh, so anyway, I had worked as an insurance adjuster. And while I'm clerking in law school, because uh, man, I had a wife and uh, I started law school with a seven month old baby, which I do not recommend. It was really, really, really difficult times. You know, I had to get a job. So I'm going to SMU, and really, as a law student, you don't know anything. You're relatively worthless. Uh, you really don't know what goes on in a law practice. But I was able to get a job because I'd been an insurance adjuster. And they're like, ooh, hey, you know what you're doing in this injury field. Uh, we should hire you. So I got a job with a guy, and I started working in what we call the plaintiff's practice. We, you know, on the side of those that have been injured. Right. You now, the defense is on the side of the insurance company. So on the plaintiff side, uh, we represented regular folks. Uh, and that, that was against insurance companies, which you had all this experience 
Correct. Working for. Right. I'd, I'd worked for the insurance companies. I understood the business. I was able to be effective right off. I mean, the first week I was working at this plaintiff's firm, I settled a case that paid my salary for the whole semester. Hmm. And I was really honestly kind of a natural at it. It was weird because I just could do it. You know, you, you might find things in life where you just go, man, I can do that. And it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I liked helping people. It's funny. I, you ever see the Incredibles when uh, the guy ends up working for an insurance company right. and he's telling folks, you know, I couldn't tell you that if you filled out form Q32A and took it up to the third floor that they might pay your claim. And that really was kind of the way I was as an adjuster. I was on the phone going, lady, we owe you money. You should take this money. And like, oh, I don't like suing people. I don't believe in it. You're not suing anybody. Take the money. I was never going to make it on the insurance side. I was not, my brain is not built for that. Right. I grew up with nothing. Uh, we had nothing. And, and so for me, I know what people look like when they're in need. And I understand, I, I feel like I understand, you know, regular folks. And I know you want to talk about my marketing and we'll get into that. But a lot of it is I like working with regular folks. To hire me, you don't have to pay me up front. Uh, I get paid a percentage of what I recover. So that works because I can represent poor folk. So you you found out that, number one, that you were good at it, and number two, it the, the work resonated with you. When did you make the decision to, to set out on your own, to open your own practice? Well, that was interesting because the guy I worked for uh, as a clerk, he actually was not a very nice person. He had some addiction problems, hmm. and uh, I, I name one, he had it. And I learned how not to do everything. And I really was on my own. It was so I worked with that guy for my second and third year, but working for him was torture. I did everything on my own. No one showed me how. Kind of like you know my, my childhood, just kind of on my own. You know, the opposite of helicopter parents. It was figure out how to live in this world with no guidance. Yeah. I was the fourth of four kids, and I'm pretty sure by the time I came around, they're just like, yeah, whatever, man, figure it out. Yeah. So working for this guy was very similar and very painful. I didn't enjoy it, but I did a lot of good things, and I helped a lot of people. And one day, I settled a big case, and I'd worked on it for a couple of years. I was still a first-year lawyer, but I'd been a law clerk handling most of it, and the client thought the whole time I was his lawyer because he never saw the other guy. Well, anyway, I now had two children and student loans that became due. You know, school's over, passed the bar, scary experience, but did it. And I asked for a bonus. He fired me. Hmm. I had enough money to live on for two weeks and two children to feed. It was a very, very difficult time. And I looked for other jobs and I realized I don't want to work. I don't want to be at the mercy of someone else. And I knew I needed to run my own business. That, that was a, a big part of why I became a lawyer. I wanted to run my own shop. Aptitude testing was great. Said I could do it, and I could do it. So I started out with a friend uh, from law school. She was working for a guy that passed away, and she's like, what do I do? And I go, keep working the files. You need money, right? And that's the thing people don't realize about lawyers. When you start out, especially these days, I mean, this is 1990 I'm talking about. I was licensed in 1990, by the way. This is my 29th year of practice. You know, we, we have bills to pay. We, most law students don't have jack. You know, there's some rich kids that go to school, but, you know, I don't have nothing. 
except for a lot of debt and, mm-hmm. and a lot of bills. And so she had some injury cases, not many, but a few. And I was, you know, I was like, I can help you make money on those right now because I knew what I was doing. We started out and uh, we, we worked together for about a year and she, her life kind of was falling apart. And I didn't know that when I got in there. And then I, you know, but I'm very proud of the fact that in that first year, I made more money working for myself than I did getting a salary from the other guy. Not much more, <laughs> but more. enough to feel like this is something that can work. I mean, you Correct. don't need to depend on somebody else. That's right. And, you know, you, when you show yourself you can do it, like, okay, I can do this. Uh, it was not easy. It was challenging, but I could do it. I'd gone to church with uh, another lawyer and I had lunch with her and her partner at the time, and I was kind of complaining about my partnership. And uh, after two lunches, I go, hey, you want to be partners? So I joined up with these two folks, and we were partners for 22 years hmm. after that. Well, in the Dallas area? In the Dallas area. And no designs on Amarillo, but there was a guy that worked for a big firm that he did the big fancy asbestos cases and all that. And he would send my partner car wreck cases because he's like, ah, you know, I'm going to lower myself to do these things, you know. He's a big fancy trial guy and you know got multi-million dollar verdicts and he didn't but we'd always send him money. We knew what we were doing, he'd work the files and we'd send him money. Well, one day he calls and says, Hey, um, I've left the big firm, I've gone out on my own, I've got an office in Dallas, Oklahoma City, and Amarillo. And you know, this uh, practice, it's like way harder than I thought it was gonna be, and it's way more expensive than I thought it was gonna be. Would you guys like to partner up? Because I know you guys know what you're doing in the personal injury field. At the time, there was the three of us, and we had two staff, and we had no marketing plan. Mm-hmm. Everything was by referral, and we did okay, you know, but no marketing plan. So we're kind of talking about it, going, well, look, we, we cannot afford Oklahoma City, but we, we could, you know, what's the bill in Amarillo? We could probably do that, and it required that we show up. We had to be here, so we made a deal and started coming to Amarillo, and he was the guy on TV. We're like, well, he's on TV, and, you know. Haha, uh-huh, we we just do the work and split the the money. Well, we're going along for a year, year and a half, something like that, and all we're doing is losing money because advertising is expensive, and our cases take a while. I call it filling up the pipeline. You know, you got to start the pipeline flowing somewhere. It takes a while before it comes out the other end. Right. Well, one day he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, I'm out." What? He goes, "Yeah, they made me a partner at my old firm." That was his whole angle the whole time. He'd set up these businesses going, no, no, I'm really gone. I'm really not coming back. Well, they made him a partner. So I had this moment. I think I'd been a lawyer for seven years at this point. And the moment was, oh, all right, I'll do it. Because we knew it was working. The advertising was working. Advertising does work if it's done right. So I started, this is 1999. I started being the guy on TV. I was not very good at the beginning. The first ad, my children busted out laughing when they saw it on, on the VCR. You know, this is some time back, right? And it was really hard. It was really personally challenging because I don't like failing at anything. I like to succeed and, and be good at what I'm doing. But, man, I, I developed a true appreciation for actors. Yeah. To be able to say a line with the right inflection and to move from a mark to another spot, you know? Know where the camera is. Know where the camera is. And, by the way, do it on time. People don't pay attention. Yeah. but. Ads are either 15 seconds or 30 seconds. And that's not a lot of time. That is not. And you must do it on time. Well, when I started, we were using film, no digital. Mm-hmm. And there were times they go, Dean, you got to get this take down. We only have 100 feet of film left. 
that is great. Now I'm really going to have a hard time saying the words yeah. right. So, and that you know, was in Amarillo. Right? That was in Amarillo. You know, ads. I was shooting the ads with this guy that was out of the Dallas area, but all the ads were airing in Amarillo. And as it turned out, our only marketing scheme was in Amarillo. Well, what do you know? When that's the place you market, that's where you get your business. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, from 1999 to 2010, I flew up here all the time. And as time went on, uh, what I noticed was I was coming up all the time. My partner, not so much. And I spent a lot of time here. Uh, 2010, I ended up moving up here. And I've lived here since 2010. 2014, I ended that partnership and started out on my own. And at the time, you know, yeah, I'd been on TV a long time. I'd, I had the marketing down, but I was also doing all the heavy lifting. I was doing all the depositions, all the hearings, all the trials. And I'm the marketing, the face of the firm. I'm kind of like, well, no. Why do I need other people? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and really you kind of get around to that. I had matured, you know, really focused on my craft and had, I feel like, become very good at what I do. So, I, you know, the marketing itself drew me to Amarillo because it's where all my business was. And what do you know? I, I like Amarillo. People are really nice. The lawyers, it, it, there's a big difference between big city lawyers and folks in Amarillo. In Amarillo, you're going to see them at the grocery store or yeah. at the gas station and, you know, in Dallas, they'll pretty much just spit in your Cheerios and don't worry about it. Here, you're going to see them again and again and again. Oh, yeah, the judges, too. What does that then force? It forces you to be more cordial. You have to be nice because what goes around comes around. And just like in any other issue within, in this big, small town, if you are mean to someone, it is going to come yeah. back. Or, or the story's going to get blown out of proportion and be in a completely different context. But as an advertiser, it's really a challenge because you need to be a nice person. When did you come up with the strong arm? You know, everybody wants there to be a really cool story. There is not a really cool story. You didn't have like a, a dream where I did it was not. delivered uh, from? It was not a name from my youth. It was my marketing guy. You know, you pay marketing people to come up with harebrained schemes that are going to work. And I always kid around and go, look, this is for older people. He's still sort of well-known. But back in the day, Hulk Hogan was probably internationally famous. Yeah. And I go, do you know what his real name is? No. Do you care? No, he's Hulk freaking Hogan. That is who he is. So my marketing guy, he calls me up one day and he goes, hey, I've got this new idea. We used to do one call, that's all. Pretty boring, not, not really all that exciting. But it's a catchphrase. you got to use something. And he told me what it was. And I go, man, I, I don't want to do that. I'm a real lawyer. This is kind of embarrassing, you know? Uh, and he goes, it'll work. And that, that really was the beginning of it. But the thing is, I shot ads with guys from all around the country who would come together and split the costs. I think in 2009, I did a tank ad where we literally shut down mm -hmm. a whole street in Dallas. And we crushed some cars. And we had a Sherman tank brought up. And, I mean, you're talking about spending some money doing this kind of ad. Well, we'd split the cost. Well, most all the guys had agreed to do the strong arm thing. So there's strong arms around the country. You just don't know them if you're not in those markets. Right, right. Uh, so I was the strong arm here. And, you know, if it had not worked, we would have had to pick something else. But it works. It's very memorable. And it, it does equate, relate. Um, it makes sense. Because, you know, people always get around and you don't want me to flex my muscles. And I go, of the law, strong arm <laughs> of the law, right? Uh, but it really does suit my personality. Uh, the, the aggression, 
that I played football with for nine years is equivalent to what I do. I hate to lose, hate to lose. We were talking about playing ping pong earlier, and you know, I, we were talking about I got stuck playing this eleven-year-old kid who happened to be amazing. Yeah, was, a surprisingly good eleven-year-old. Oh my kid. gosh, he's incredible, and uh, he had beaten a couple other adults already, and it's like, nope. I don't care if he's 11. I'm he's winning. He's not going to beat me. Yeah, and, you know, nothing but respect for his ability. He was amazing. But if I can beat him, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> you you mentioned that tension as, you know, you were doing, um, you know, making the the TV ads, and but also wanting to be known as a serious lawyer. And I know that, that there's a lot, of, a lot of jokes about lawyers on TV. There's probably a lot of preconceived ideas that you have to get past. Tell me why... In personal injury law and, and dealing with your clientele that's blue collar, that's hardworking, why it is so important to get that attention using a medium like TV? Okay, so you could be the best lawyer that ever lived, but if nobody knows who you are, you'll still be broke. You have to get the business. And back in the 70s, you know, as late as the 80s, it was illegal to advertise as a lawyer. Right. And I always say, well, that was the big firms keeping their thumb on everybody else. Because, you know, you know who the big firms are. You hear their names because there's so many lawyers there. You, you're just going to run across them. You're going to hear about them. You see them in the news, et cetera. But, you know, there's this thing in America called free speech. And guess what? Lawyers have the right to free speech as well. And so the common man does not know who to hire. Kind of like, do you know, do you have a good plumber? Do you have a, a good yard guy? You know, what happens when you get a leak in your roof? How do you find these people? Same thing with a lawyer. How do you know if anybody's any good? You don't. And listen, just like any other business, there are good lawyers and bad lawyers. If you are in need and have a problem, you would like a good one. I happen to be very good at what I do. I'm on the, I'm on the board of directors of the Texas Trial Lawyers Association, I'm the only fellowship member of that group in the Amarillo area. I give speeches to other lawyers on complex topics. I have a very good trial record. I do my utmost to do my job and do it well. But I also do the same with advertising. I hate to lose. So that drives me to want to succeed at marketing as well as uh, doing the work. You know, when you go to law school, they teach you about being a lawyer, but they don't give you any business courses. Uh, they don't give you any day-to-day -day training. It's all ethereal, intellectual exercise. They, they, at SMU, they talk about teaching you to think like a lawyer. And they did, but there are many things about being a lawyer that you only learn while you're doing the work. Fortunately, at Aveline Christian, I took a bunch of business courses because... My dad thought it was a good idea, and, you know, I took accounting, I took economics, I took financial management. I just happened to be, I guess, nerdy enough. Those are my electives. Yeah. Why? Because I went to college to learn, and I was paying for it. You tend to bear down a little more when it's coming out of your pocket. Well, and we, we had a previous conversation where you talked to me about being accessible to your clients, you know, and mentioned that if you were in some, you know, high rise downtown in a really swanky office space, you know, your lower income clients would not feel comfortable enough to come see you or to seek you out, that that accessibility is a big part of whether it's your marketing efforts or your office itself. You know, if you use big fancy words, 
what you're really saying most of the time is, well, you know, I'm probably smarter than you. But if you think about it, it's kind of offensive. Uh, I don't need to use big fancy words to vindicate myself. I think that a, a better informed human being would recognize what it takes to communicate. There have been several presidents that were considered great communicators because they could speak to everyone and everyone understood their point and they get it. That is a real talent. For me, when I go talk to a jury, if I talk over their head, what I know, what I've learned from my studies is that uh, subconsciously they will grow angry with me because I'm being lawyer man and I'm clearly smarter than them and they should do what I say because I'm smart. That does not work. Hmm. You want to talk to regular folks, then you need to talk at their level in a way that will communicate. If I want someone to please take my advice, they need to understand my advice and why I'm giving it. And it, it takes some effort to do that, and many lawyers don't do it. One of the things I'm really proud of is that I've built a very successful practice. We have 29 employees now, uh, an 11,000 square foot office that you know, Mason Rogers that you had on here helped design, and Matt and Nikki Chamberlain helped build. Nikki Frazier helped decorate. Former Southwest branch of the Amarillo Public Library. So right. a super recognizable building on 45th. Yeah. Uh, Sarah with, with Playa Design also helped decorate it. I mean, we, we, I'm very, very proud of this beautiful space and that we used a lot of local, well, all local folks to put it together. But, you know, things that, that you wouldn't really think about, it, you have to administrate for an office with 30 people. That takes a little doing. Look, when I moved up here, uh, I was getting divorced, and that was a hard time for me. And I liked the people in Amarillo. They were friendly to me. It was a, it was a, a place where I felt safe. And over time, you know, thank the Lord, I met my current wife. She's a Pampa girl. Uh, we got married. Now, I did not marry her to be my business partner, but Heidi is very much my business partner. Guess who is the head of human resources for all these folks? It's Heidi. And she is way better at it than I could ever be. Guess who is the head of my marketing? It's Heidi. Heidi is incredible. I started with 11 people in 2014 when I left my old firm. And now we're at 29. We've opened up an office in Lubbock this year. And I attribute a lot of that success to the efforts of Heidi Boyd. She has been uh, amazing. She loves me like I've never been loved before, which is awesome. Uh, she's beautiful and wicked smart. And I really am blessed by that. But guess what? She didn't grow up with much money either. And so we're kind of two regular folks that, that happen to, to have success. You know, for me, there's the administration of the practice. There's the marketing. There's uh, the actual being a lawyer. And I am proud to say I am a trial lawyer. Not many lawyers can say that. To go in and win at trial is very, very difficult anymore. Uh, I think it was 2015, the entire state of Texas, 22 million people, excluding uh, family law and criminal law, there were only 1,000 trials in the entire state for the whole year. Wow. That means that most lawyers will never see the courtroom. I just tried a case in December uh, in Dallas, happened to be friends I used to go to church with, and I'd been offered $25,000 by the Sari insurance company, and I got a $250,000 verdict, which I am very proud of. The reason I went to trial is because they were not being fair. And it took a lot of time, effort, and money, but we did it. 
I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I, I want to talk about some of those results just to give people an idea of you know why the work you do is so important in the life of, of just some average you right. know warehouse worker or somebody who's in a car accident without going into details or naming names. Sure. I mean, tell me, tell me a typical story and how you okay. might get involved. So for most of my clients, they're just regular folks working a job, right? And so you get in a car wreck and great. Now your car's totaled, you're hurt, you go to the hospital, you're going to get a massive bill from the hospital. So you have no car, no income, and giant bills that you didn't ask for. For most folks, if they don't get healthy and get another car and get those bills paid, they are going to be pushed below the poverty line real fast. And it happens to many people. In that case, I'm going to take that case. I'm going to figure out, you know, how to help guide them through the process and hopefully in the end, get the insurance company to pay for their car, get their medical bills paid for and get some money for their lost wages and, you know, put some money in their pocket for the trouble that they've been through. It's called pain and suffering. A lot of people go, oh, pain and suffering my eye. I go, well, wait till you go through it and then maybe you'll understand it. But the, the goal is to try to help them get what they deserve. You know, I sound like my commercials. Uh, you're going to need help with your medical bills, car repairs, lost wages, and money for your pain and suffering. And guess what? That's exactly the same thing I say over and over and over, no matter how I package it up, because that is the need that everybody has. And I always ask a lot of my clients, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a plumber. Okay, cool. The last thing you should ever have Dean Boyd do is work on your plumbing, because God bless me with the ability to do this, but when it comes to fixing, repairing anything, I got nothing. I, I can't see it, can't understand it. Honestly, my wife, if I look at you know fixing something around the house, she just turns her head and goes, really? Seriously, you're, you're going to do that? Why don't you call somebody, Dean? That is what I would say to people that have been hurt. Really? Seriously, you're going to do that? Why don't you call me? I have literally handled thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. I don't know what the total number is, but it's over $100 million throughout my career that I've helped collect for my clients. Why wouldn't you call somebody that knows what they're doing? Mm -hmm. What I do is I spend time talking to people about, please let me do my thing. Don't sign anything unless I see it. Why would you have a lawyer and yet not show them the yeah. things that you're signing? That's nuts. And I say this on the radio all the time. Everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law because the insurance companies are recording from the second you pick up that phone. They are recording every word you say, just like you're recording now. They're recording you. And if you say the wrong thing, they're going to cram it down your throat. And everything you see on TV, sorry, folks, it's not true. When you snap your fingers and, and somebody's going to show up and help you with your claim, you will get bupkis out of them unless you push the right buttons and unless you know how to speak their language and find your way through the minefield of an injury claim. And, and no one knows no, no one knows what to do. You have no clue because hopefully you only go through it once. Well, how are you going to be experienced? You know, <laughs> my best clients are ones that are probably less educated uh, because they actually listen to me. Uh, sometimes my worst clients are the more educated because they're just like, I don't have to listen to you. I know what I'm doing. I'm mm -hmm. not stupid. And what I'd say is, I know you're not stupid. You are not experienced. And you don't know what you don't know. And by the time you find out what you didn't know, it's too late. And most people have experienced frustrations dealing with insurance for 
getting a new roof or a fender bender. Right. You're dealing with much more complex cases. Well, yes and no. Some of them are very straightforward. They would appear to be simple to the common man. And I'm like, yeah, well, they're not. Uh, there are a myriad of choices uh, for computer programmers. They would understand this when I say it's a lot of if this, then that. It's decision-making through the process based on how the program should work. Problem is you don't know that there's a program. <laughs> you, you think you use your logical mind, and there is a program that you should effectively apply. So I always, people say, what kind of cases do you handle? And my response is, well, if someone got hurt and you think to yourself, man, that ain't right. Somebody ought to pay for that. Call me. The worst thing you can do is be your own judge on that because how would you know? Even my own staff that has worked with me for years will go, oh, you know, we don't really do that. And I'm like, really? Did you ask me? Because I'm going to tell you uh, what we do. And we do some weird stuff, things that people wouldn't understand. I mean, truck wrecks, motorcycle wrecks, car wrecks, some slip and fall, uh, on-the-job injuries. Biggest case I ever handled was a kid that got paralyzed on the job. And not every case on the job I can do because workers' comp laws in Texas are a disaster for the working man. I mean, absolute disaster. But there are certain cases I can take. Um, same thing with medical malpractice. So there are you know, a, a myriad of things I'll do. I, my, my attitude is I would like to treat my clients the way I would like to be treated. You know that do unto others thing? Mm -hmm. I actually think that's a good business practice. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, uh, a lot of the things he said were really, really good. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Try pulling that off every day. You know, that is um, a really good way to live. And, uh, you know, doing to others the way you'd like them to treat you. Yeah, I, and I try to do that with my clients. And look, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And I got 30 people working for me. So, you know, sometimes we're not perfect. But um, the difference for me, I tell people all the time, is what I want you to say when we're done is, if I wanted to meet with Dean, I got to meet with Dean. He spoke to me personally. They did what they said they were going to do. Uh, they were honest. They answered our phone calls. You know, the basics. This is my business philosophy. I want to close this section by going back to the decision to come to Amarillo mm -hmm. and to relocate here. Um, looking back, do you see that, or do you see this area as having played a big role in the success that you've seen over the past 10 years, you know, is that something that might've happened in the Metroplex area or do you think it's unique here? Well, you know, I can be a big fish in a relatively small pond and, and that has helped. If I, if you want to market for something here, if you're successful at it, if you not just the marketing, but actually doing the work, if you're good at it, word gets around. Uh, that's the difference about Amarillo. If you're good at it, the word will get around and people will recommend you. It's because why we're all looking for, who can help me with this issue? So I think that the fact that Amarillo is on its own, you know, out on its own frontier, mm -hmm. in effect, I always tell people, I go, look, Denver's six hours away, Dallas is six hours away, Albuquerque's five, Oklahoma City's four, four and a half. Amarillo's got to stand on its own two feet, and we have to be able to be self-sustaining. And there was an opportunity here for me to come into the market and be aggressive, but I don't care how aggressive you are in Amarillo. If you don't do a good job, you're not going to stay in business, period. Just like a restaurant. If the restaurant's not any good, people just aren't going to go. If my work's not any good, the word's going to get out. And what's happened instead is, is that we have blossomed.
we try to track why do people come see us, right? So we're doing a lot of different advertising, and we ask folks, would you please tell us what it is that brought you here? And uh, other than TV, TV is still number one. Number two is word of mouth. A lot of people hire my firm because of what other people tell them. That is a very Amarillo thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Dallas, man, you're just in the sea of humanity and traffic. One of the things I like best Amarillo about Amarillo is I can get to, from point A to point B without worrying about a mind-numbing traffic yeah. jam, which yeah. was every day in Dallas. Here, people are like, hey, we got too much construction. I get it, absolutely. But you can still get from point A to point B in some reasonable amount of time or take another path. In Dallas, you're just stuck, man. <laughs> you're just stuck. I lived on Central Expressway going to law school with my offices. Ugh, it was brutal. And I, trust me, I love the fact that there's not a whole lot of traffic here. That is a very nice thing about Amarillo. This episode of Hey Amarillo is also sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery. Now, there are a ton of things I love about Six Car, which is becoming a central hub in the downtown community. The beer is great, but let's talk about the kitchen. Led by chef Scott Buchanan, Six Car's Scratch Kitchen uses a broad range of ingredients and methods, and it's becoming a leader in local food trends. The menu is as delicious as it is creative and fun, and they're changing it all the time. So get there before it changes. Check out this month's menu at sixcarpub.com. Okay, I'm back with attorney Dean Boyd. Dean, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you want to. You're not speaking before a jury, so you don't have to convince <laughs> me, but you know, keep it, keep it relatively short. What's, and, and this is something I, I reserved for you. What's your favorite lawyer joke? You know, I thought about this. Um, none. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I do silly ads on TV. I do. And I know that I put myself out there. But what you don't know about me is my heart and how I really feel about what I do. I honestly believe that what I do is important, it's meaningful, it's protecting your constitutional right to trial by jury, and I give it my all. And so when people make lawyer jokes, I go, I get it, I understand. Some lawyers are not very nice people, but although I can take a joke, uh, I still don't like it. All right. So there you go. I'll, I'll accept that. You can defer on that one. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? Uh, OHMS. Man, they, their food, Josh cooks amazing food. Josh Fuller. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's always got a special out there. Leslie, I like wine. I make no secret of that. I like wine, and Leslie picks some really nice wines. And Mary runs a, a great shop. Now, I know Mary's trying to take a back seat, but... As far as I can tell, she hasn't done that so much. She's still there. She loves that place. And it's a family-run business, much like mine. They provide a great product, a really comfortable environment, and I love those guys. Do you have a favorite dish that you get there? Mm, I like the elk tenderloin a lot. Yeah. Um, I usually, these days, since I'm trying to lose weight, uh, and on the Mediterranean approach to eating, which is actually help me lose weight, for those of y'all working on something, it's, it's not a diet, it's a way of eating. They always have some sort of fish. That, okay, my favorite fish is sea bass. Mm-hmm. Really good, good seafood, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. HMS. Yeah, they do a great job. Okay, what's your favorite street in Amarillo? That's easy, 45th. All right. That's where my business is. You look out at it from your office. Well, I got to tell you, 
things I didn't expect. I always thought, you know, as, as a general outsider in the beginning, I thought, man, my office ought to be on I-40. And we had the opportunity to buy this building and uh, redevelop it. And what I found is, is that this building is beloved by the community. It, the old library, man, I don't know what they were doing in there, but everybody loved the old library. Whoever was in charge of this place was a master of their craft because everybody has a really positive vibe towards this building. Mm -hmm. And we've got a nice big stretch of road. We've got 30 trees, which for anybody from Amarillo knows, that's awesome. Uh, and we have been really blessed. I think there's something like 45,000 cars a day that go by wow. here. So just from a marketing standpoint, it's a great thing. What does this area have too much of? Burgers, beer, and pizza. Okay. Um, and that's said as someone who's trying to lose weight. So absolutely. I like, I like burgers, beer, and pizza. And they like me too. They like to hang on. Uh, and, you know, it's an easy thing to sell, but it's really, there's too much of that. I mean, just way too much. Every time a new restaurant comes in, you go, oh, crap, more burgers, beer, and pizza. A little frustrated about that. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Farm to table, good restaurants with healthy food choices. Um, you know, look, I'm not getting any younger. As you get older, you start to look around going, huh, number one cause of death in America, I think, is heart attacks. What causes heart attacks? Uh, bad diet, lack of exercise, good diet, um, which is in, in many of the big cities now, it's a thing. You know, it's really a thing. Farm to table, well, what do you know? Uh, back before processed foods, we were all thin. Why? Because you got food out of the ground and you ate it. You know, you raised the critters. You ate them. But, you know, farm to table is something okay. that I wish we had more of. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? The number one thing is uh, the, how friendly folks are. There are a lot of friendly, good people in this community. I mean, I'm not kidding. There are a lot of good people, good-hearted folks, a lot of regular folks, hard-working folks. And those are mostly my client base. If, if you need something, you're going to find somebody here that's probably able and willing to help you. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? Probably sometime in the last six months. I generally want to take visitors there. You know, one of my favorite things about it is, well, number one, how beautiful it is. But number two, you know, as you drive out there, and it's a flat, 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 and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. There's this amazing view, and I love it. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I just think it's absolutely gorgeous. If you haven't been to Paladuro Canyon, get in the car, go to Paladuro Canyon, spend five, ten bucks, whatever it is to get in there. And enjoy that place. It's gorgeous. What do you like to do there? Do you drive around? Do you get out and hike? Do you I, no, bike? I, or? I don't. I'm not a hiker. I should be. I just like to see the views. Just get out, look around, take pictures. Just enjoy it. You know, if you think about it, it's kind of reverse mountains. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love mountains. And you go down there in the bottom, it's like, hey, look at all these mountains around us. I do love all the different views and the perspectives. In my office, I have several bits of artwork that relate to the canyon. And what's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Moisture. Any kind of moisture. You know, uh, I moved up here in the heart of the drought. Yeah, 2000, 2010, 2010. I was up here permanently, but 2011 was the worst of it. You know, every now and then it'd be raining and somebody complained. I go, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you like flushing your toilet? Yeah, we need water. We always need water. This is a dry, arid place. So any kind of moisture, snow, rain, mist, anything. I like the moisture. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. Dean, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something uh, related to the area. So what's something locally that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Uh, two things. 
that I support myself, and I'm proud to support them. The High Plains Food Bank okay. uh, is awesome. A bunch of nice people there. What are they doing? Feeding the hungry. That's it. Feeding the hungry. How can you complain about that? Yeah. I mean, they are awesome, and they do a real community service. They feed people. And speaking of farm-to-table, have a really good gardening program. They do. Outstanding gardening. In fact, we got to go talk to uh, the folks in charge of that, and looking around at how they grow food is awesome. And the other one is the Hope and Healing Place. Uh, It's a counseling center, especially for folks that uh, have had someone commit suicide or die unexpectedly. They are amazing. There are... A lot of hurting people in this world. Uh, there are a lot of hungry people, and there are a lot of hurting people. And it's easy for us, you know, for us to sweep things under the rug and just go, yeah, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Or, wow, that's really terrible, and then just move on. These folks are helping people, children, families, dealing with grief. Um, my business, I, what do you know? I deal with death and grief and horrific injury. I just think the Hope and Healing Place does an amazing job. We are proud to be supporters of the Hope and Healing Place. Dean Boyd, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for letting me be on here. I really appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Dean Boyd for setting aside time for our interview. Thanks to SKP Creative and Six Car Pub and Brewery for sponsoring this week's show. Executive producers of Hamarillo include Neil Nossiman, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. You can help produce the show. You can become one of those executive producers I just named by supporting the show on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash and help me keep this show free week after week. Uh, in the meantime, feel free to leave a review if you enjoy the show. Tell people why you like it uh, on whatever podcast platform you listen to, on Facebook, wherever. This, this helps other people discover the show. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.